Welcome to the Social Ideas Podcast brought to you by the Cambridge Centre for Social Innovation. This series looks through the lens of those striving for a better world. I'm Pam Mungru. We're now taking applications for the 2022 Cambridge Social Innovation Prize, which is awarded by Trinity Hall and the Cambridge Centre for Social Innovation. The £10,000 prize is made annually to extraordinary founder CEOs of scale-up social enterprises to support their growth as leaders. In this episode of the Social Ideas podcast, we hear from one of last year's winners. Kim Griffin is an occupational therapist whose social enterprise provides training and support for teachers and parents. Six months after winning, I caught up with Kim to find out what impact the award has had for her. So I have been involved with Cambridge Social Ventures for about three and a half years or so now. And I originally did their weekender and then I did their one year of support. And my mentor from that, Karen Anderson, actually suggested that I apply for the bigger award this year um, because she's seen me progress all the way through and felt that I was sort of ready to ready to put that application in. So that was for me, that was sort of my motivator to or my push, let's say, to apply was more just sort of Karen saying, no, no, I think I think you, you should apply. And I'm really glad I did. I didn't. Um, I wasn't expecting to be a winner. I, I felt that I probably needed another year or two. But it was yeah, it was a lovely surprise to be chosen as one of last year's winners. Yeah. So before we carry on talking about the prize and how it's impacted you. Let's let's sort of go back a moment and, and talk a bit more about your social enterprise, Griffin OT. Can you explain the history behind it, please? So for me, I was working in private practice as an occupational therapist, and I was seeing the children who are fortunate enough to have parents who can pay $70, $100 per hour, not dollars, sorry, I'm in Australia at the moment and I've moved across 70, 100 pound uh, to visit an OT and get private therapy and get support. And at the same time, I was seeing the NHS services decrease and I was seeing the prices increase for a lot of the training, which I know is hard to imagine after COVID, but the training at the time five years ago was very much face to face. You had to go to London or Birmingham, and that was kind of your two options usually. Um, there was a bit of training up in uh, up sort of more north, but my goal was to make that information really accessible to everyone. One of the, the questions that I wanted to ask, you talk about sort of issues around the NHS, you talk about funding, you talk about provision of support and care. Why do you think there is such a challenge around state-supported provision of occupational therapy? Oh, that is a big question, Pam. I think there's lots of different things that impact on that. Unfortunately, overall, I would say early intervention in the UK is not funded as well as it should be. Something like even the Sure Start programme, which was got rid of and then the new government has I forget what they've called it but it is sure start (laughs) they pretty much have brought it back um they've given it a different name but unfortunately because the early intervention doesn't necessarily show kind of an immediate outcome it it doesn't 
get anywhere near as much funding as some of that acute stuff. But the problem is we're just we're just making the issues worse. So you know, the fact that families are waiting 12 to 12 months, two years for a diagnosis of autism, that's 12 months, two years that that child has lost in terms of receiving support um, and getting the help that they need. And it I think I just think there's so many different elements. And unfortunately, children sort of fall between education, health and social care, and everybody everybody kind of tries to pass that buck around to the other bucket of money. <laughs> and it, there's so many people fighting. Like the Council for Disabled Children is amazing to see work they do. Uh, but unfortunately, the people that sort of hold the money and the purse strings, it doesn't seem to be kind of reflected in policy. It'll be very, very, very interesting to see what comes out in the SEND review, which is overdue, but it's it's meant to be out this year. And I, I don't think it's going to be very pretty reading for anyone. And I really do hope that I hope that it forces some change. I'm not <laughs> I'm not wholly confident it's going to force the change that needs to be sort of forced, but my gut feeling is that I haven't read it, I haven't seen it, but from working on the ground, my gut feeling is it's not going to be very pretty reading. Um, I think COVID has exacerbated issues that were already in the system. Like I think people tried to sort of blame COVID for things that actually were sort of systemic to start with <laughs> and, and COVID has just exacerbated them rather than created them as such. But yeah, I, I think it is very tricky to get the right balance. I think it's interesting um, that you brought up COVID, but what I'm, I'm interested in is what did the pandemic do for you and the service that you provide in terms of a social impact? So, I actually saw huge growth last year when the schools closed because there were a lot of teaching assistants at home looking for CPD to do. So I was ready to go. I kind of, <laughs> my business was perfectly placed for COVID as such. I didn't have to make any changes. I just had all these people kind of going, oh, we've got time. Let's, let's do training. So I was actually able to help I mean, I had 10x growth last year, so I was able to help 10 times more people than I did the year before. And that's because a lot of my growth is word of mouth. It's also meant that people are talking to other people and that will continue um, post the pandemic. But I, and, I, and I was able to provide some online sort of fun. I did like little fun motor videos and stuff parents and that to use at home as well yeah so me being online already COVID was I don't not necessarily helpful but I was ready to help because I was already online and it's like a lot of other places have moved online now because of COVID but I was sort of I had that head start to be able to help because I already had the content there how then do you take what you do online and make it accessible for parents who are not, you know, not in a position perhaps to go private for healthcare, who their child's education and SEN needs 
have been greatly impacted by COVID. How do you then make that affordable? So I personally index my price into the national minimum wage. So I try to make, um, unfortunately, I can't provide the content for free. I'd love to provide the content for free, but it is not free. <laughs> like, you know, having online platform, having online training, my time, it can't be free at the point of service and at the moment. I'd love in the future for it to be sort of more funded by schools and being able to then put that support out to the families. So with all your knowledge, your experience with Griffin OT and your sort of your plans for the future, how is the Cambridge Social Innovation Prize, which is £10,000 per winner, helping you? So my main proportion of the funding is going towards starting my PhD uh, and the fees for that. And I've also used a little bit to have some expert consulting from someone that my business advisor at Cambridge, Mark, suggested. And we did a complete reframe of the messaging within the business. And I also had some of it to finish off the academic support I was having for a little piece of research I was doing on my phone motor program. So I've used a lot of it to improve I suppose my research understanding and that sort of piece because it had to be spent on professional personal professional development was the goal for the award so that's sort of where I've gone with it and I've also been accessing Mark Godson from um, Cambridge Social Ventures and I've been meeting with him at least um, yeah pretty much monthly and he's been a great source of help in terms of helping me reframe my sales and marketing actually to just pull that in and what I need to do is reach an even bigger audience and I need to make some changes in order to make that happen so Mark is helping me out with the it's not very sexy but it's kind of I'm doing back-end admin at the moment it's really not sexy but it it really needs to be done so I love doing content creation and I can sit I've just finished writing my second book and I've really enjoyed the last week because I've been writing, 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 writing and content creation, but I need to pull my head in and do the the back end sort of sales marketing, get it out there because there's no point in having something that nobody's aware of. So yeah, increasing awareness is my goal for the for 2022. So as you said, the prize is £10,000 for personal and professional development. Is that sort of empowering to you? It is such a rare opportunity to have that funding just purely to spend on professional development. And it was a really interesting process for me to sit down and really think about kind of what did I want to invest that in? What did I want to invest for myself to sort of make that difference going forward? So because I really want to support longer term policy change for me, focusing it more on doing the PhD, I felt was a way to enhance my skills in order to be able to do that. And I would just want to mention Graham Ross Russell at the moment, because he is the one that has made the award um, possible and a huge thank you to him for that. So obviously the application uh, is now open for the next round of potential winners. What would you say to those people who are sitting there thinking, should I, shouldn't I? Am I worth it? Is my social enterprise worth it? I mean, I definitely think 
read the criteria of what they're looking for because they are looking for someone that has been I think it's five years something like that they're not they're not looking for new ventures uh they're looking for people that have got a bit of established business there and also the award is not for business development it is for personal development so it's also important to have a think around sort of what do I personally want to develop about myself rather than how can I spend this on my business? So they would be the two considerations I I would look at if I was applying or looking to apply. And if you are really keen to get that opportunity to spend it on professional development and you have been operating for a little while, then definitely go for it would be my advice. There's always that nagging voice in the back of your head that it's not quite right, but you'll never know if you don't try. And you, I, I find doing award applications can be helpful to really reflect and think on what you're doing anyway. So it's not, so I just applied for the Women in Innovation Award, Innovate UK one, and I didn't even get an interview. But actually, I found the process of doing the application really helpful because I tried Firstly, because I tried to do one two years ago. So I was really excited that I kind of felt like I knew how to answer the questions. And secondly, it really made me think about how I can fit what I'm doing into 200 words and 500 words and sort of really be succinct and doing that reflection, which I wouldn't normally have done. I just sort of kept my head in the business and kept going. So one helpful thing I think about the award applications is they do make you do that piece of reflection as well, which can be helpful learning for yourself too. That was Kim Griffin, social entrepreneur and one of the 2021 Cambridge Social Innovation Prize winners. Applications are now open, but please note, you must be the founder CEO of a UK-based social enterprise. You can find out more by searching for the Cambridge Social Innovation Prize and the Cambridge Centre for Social Innovation.